Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Thank you. Let's pray as we come to read God's word together, shall we? Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this chance to be here together today. And we thank you, Father, that you speak to us through your living, active word. And we thank you that we uh, can learn together from Paul's letter to the Philippians all that time ago uh, what you would desire for our lives today. Uh, Lord, we pray that we might be transformed for the glory of Jesus and for our own good. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Um, well, apparently, the big thing in life these days <coughs> is to live the fullest life you can, the best life you can imagine. That's the goal. Uh, to live your best life. So, just tell the person beside you, what is your best life? Go. What's the best life you can imagine? Okay, let's, uh, let's see what we've come up with. The best life you could imagine involves what? Good, yeah, good friends, good family. Love it. What else? Yep. Worry-free life. 
A worry-free life. Interesting. Um, anybody living the dream right now? Anyone got a worry-free life? Okay. I love the ambition. Uh, what other things will make the, uh, the best life? Sorry? No illnesses, no disease. Yeah. Which forever? Sleeping forever. I feel you. Yeah. Um, a couch with no cat hair. Yes. I like it. Um, do you know the interesting thing about all the, the, the pictures of the ideal life is. I don't know what your last 12 months has been, but I bet it wasn't that. I bet it wasn't that. I, I bet the things that we think would make us happy would, would be there is not our, actually our experience. And particularly not over the last couple of years where there's been so many frustrations in life. Life has been difficult and frustrating and disappointing for well, for so many around the world, for everyone, maybe for everyone around the world. So how do you live when life seems to constantly disappoint our expectations and yet we have this idea that what I'm supposed to be doing is living this best version of me? How do you pull those two things together? Uh, this morning as we get into uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, what we're going to see is, that he, he, is a man the Apostle Paul, who was living what should have been a miserable life and yet somehow is full of joy and hope and purpose. And as we see him, that'll make a big difference for us. So that's the goal. Um, let me just uh, show you a couple of pictures. Who can remember this guy? Let's see how we go. I am really sorry. I have been... The tech assistant's worst nightmare today. I turned up with a thumb drive on a file that the computer at the back couldn't read. And he's managed to... And here we go. Stuart Diver. Stuart Diver uh, famous from... Threadbow. The Threadbow Survivor. Yeah, so he survived that landslide. 19 people uh, in a building. He was the only survivor. Um, he lay next to his wife while his wife died. Uh, and he wrote, as a result of that disaster... He wrote a book called Survivor. Um, and in the book, he, he was talking about what makes the difference between surviving and not surviving. And he said this. He said, um, while I was trapped, I was conscious of thinking, either I just give up or I need to start thinking of things worth living for. Um, do you see? It's actually hope that causes you, that helps you to survive. And the loss of hope is deadly. Does anyone remember these two guys? You're very quick on the last one. Tasmania Mining, yes. That's outstanding, actually. Um, isn't that funny that the images from that, and you can recall a news story from 2006, more than 15 years ago. Why? Brant Webb and Todd Russell... Um, after an earthquake, uh, were trapped underground for 14 days. And, and the two of them survived. 14 days underground, the two of them survived. Um, years after that, in 2010, so four years later, 
there was an earthquake in Chile and a whole bunch of miners in Chile were trapped. And they were trying to keep these guys alive while they had to um, uh, dig through to them. And the Chilean miners were under there for weeks. In the middle of it, they said, what are we going to do to keep these guys alive? They got these two fellas to talk about their survival story because hearing somebody else's survival story, again, is a great inspiration for you to survive. What did they say? Uh, this is the line that struck me most. They said, you've got to keep your heads together and you've got to keep hope alive. So that's what they got the miners to You've got to keep hope alive. And time and time again, in stories of survival, where people have survived what seemed to be circumstances that would have caused anybody to just give up, the thing they've worked out again and again is hope enables you to not just survive, but thrive. Um, in the field of positive psychology, there's been lots of studies about this, about the significance of hope for helping people to get through difficult spots in life. Hope and resilience are tied very, very closely together. As Christians, we have something far greater than wishful thinking, than happy thoughts, than nice possibilities to pin our hopes to. So as Christians, our hopes are pinned to the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead, of a life that goes beyond even death itself. And that hope, if you grab hold of it, changes everything. It changes everything certainly for the future, but it actually changes everything here and now as well and how you endure through difficult circumstances. Come with me back into Philippians. If you've got that open, I'm sure that will help. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, we're going to pick up from verse 12. Um, throughout most of this letter, uh, Paul is writing, um, th this is a letter from prison to the first church that was ever planted in Europe, uh, and Paul is writing, uh, talking to them about partnership in the gospel. But in this particular section, he's actually telling them mostly about himself. Um, he's telling them about his attitude, his goals, his hopes, what keeps him going. One twelve, For I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Indeed, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my prison imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. As Paul writes Philippians, he tells us over and over again that he is joyful, which is remarkable because he is writing from prison. 
And he's not writing about a joy he lost or a joy he's going to have one day. He's writing about a joy he experiences right now in the middle of his suffering. He's in prison because of the gospel, because of his preaching, and his life's made even more difficult while he's there by some people who used to call themselves his friends, but who are preaching for their own gain, for their own good, in order to make life more difficult for himself. It's, it's tragic, isn't it? That so often it's the way that the opposition that gets stirred up against Christian people so often comes from others who used to call them friends, others who maybe even are inside the family, turning on us. Is that not the most painful thing in churches when that happens? In Paul's case, these former friends are probably gossiping around. How do you make somebody who's in prison in Rome, how do you make their life more difficult? Do you hear what this bloke said? He says, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Did you hear what this bloke said? He said, there is only one Lord and it's not Caesar. Can you imagine what that would do for Paul? It's that kind of thing. But Paul is saying, yeah, but did you get the bit after, did you hear what he said? <laughs> They're saying the truth. They're talking about Jesus and that's good. And so somehow he can rejoice that even in the midst of these terrible motives, the truth is still being spoken about Jesus. Um, Paul writes here that he is confident, verse 19, of being delivered. I don't know if you've ever corresponded with somebody in jail. Uh, I've had quite a few friends uh, been through jail and I've visited lots of people in jail. If somebody who is in jail writes you a letter and says they are confident of being delivered. Okay? Normally there's only one of two things going on there. Either they've got an appeal coming up, in the legal process, and that's looking good, or they're cooking up an escape plan or something like that. <laughs> um, anyway, you just got to, if somebody writes from prison, they're confident of being delivered. You know what they're talking, they're talking about prison, right? I'm confident of getting out. But Paul writes that and that's not at all what he's talking about. Whether he's in or not, it seems to make no difference. He is confident of being delivered uh, from sin. The word delivered there is the same word that's used of salvation. He's confident of being delivered from sin and from the fear of death. And he's going to go on and talk more about that. So he recognises that being in prison, his persecution, in fact, everything about his circumstances is actually turning out for his deliverance, for his ultimate salvation, for his ultimate good. And for that, he rejoices. So these things that are going on in his life now are going to make him better fit for heaven. It's the, it's the hope of heaven, the sure hope of heaven, that gives Paul his reason for joy now, even if the circumstances are difficult. Because he's saying, God is using this to make me ready for that. I don't know if you're like me, but for me, sometimes God needs to knock me down in order to get me to look up. Are you like that? The hard times of life train us not to depend on ourselves, not to put our hope in the fragile treasures 
for the passing pleasures of this life. And so it was for Paul. He's pressing on because in verse 20, he has this great goal that he's aiming for in the time that he has left on earth. Verse 20, It is my expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. This exaltation of Christ, making much of Christ, magnifying Christ, lifting him up, that's what exaltation means, that is the goal of Paul's life. See, that is the most important thing in Paul's life. Is that what he says? This is the most important thing in my life. Well, no, in fact, he says something even far more radical than that. He says, the exaltation of Christ is actually more important than even my life. Whether I live or die, this thing is still the most important thing, that Christ be magnified, that he be lifted up and made much of. That is more important even than Paul's life. And for that reason, he can rejoice that it is happening whether he lives or dies. He puts this goal in in three different ways through the passage. In verse 18, he describes it, that Christ be preached. Here in verse 20, that Christ be exalted in my body or in my flesh. Um, And in verses 25 and 26, he talks about others progressing in their faith and joy in Christ. In each case, what it means is that Jesus is being lifted up, that the focus is going to Jesus, that he is exalted, and that is the goal for Paul. As long as the focus is on Jesus, Paul's goal is being met. And it is more important even than life itself. Verse 21, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he goes on to say, well, whether I live or whether I die, um, I I don't know, I'm caught between two good options. Either I live and that's fruitful and and positive for you, or I die and I get to be with Jesus. Either way, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you believe that? To live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul lived for that. He lived and worked for the progress of others in the faith to make others joyful and that goal drove him. If your goal is to be rich, then you worry about money all the time. If your goal is to be rich, you've got to focus on it. You've got to focus on how you get more in and how you spend less or you invest it right. You've got the whole time, you, I don't know, you've got a stockbroker and you, you think about the money going up and down and you're trying to chase the interest rates and not pay too much interest, but you want lots more interest in. And if you want to be rich, you've actually got to spend a lot of time thinking about money. Anyone here got a Fitbit? One of those electronic gizmos? Counting your steps? There's a couple of brave people admitting that. I know there's more of you out there. <laughs> I know there is. Because if you want to be fit, you've actually got to pay attention to that too, don't you? You want to be fit, you're watching the calories going in and the exercise going out, maybe you're counting your steps or you're, every day you're doing certain things. This is what people tell me you do. Like, frankly, I tell you, I've got no idea. But apparently that's what you do. If you want to be fit, you've got to focus on it. If you're single and you want to be married, join a beach mission team. 
<laughs> so, whatever your goal is, you've got to work hard, don't you? You focus on it, it becomes consuming. And Paul's goal? To live is Christ. He wants Jesus to be exalted, to be made much of. And whether he lives and whether he dies, that's exactly what he's going to try and do. Can you imagine how, must, how frustrating it must have been to be an enemy of Paul's? Imagine being an enemy of the Apostle, the Apostle Paul. I want to make this guy's life a misery. So what are we going to do? I will persecute him. And he goes, well, I'm just going to keep on preaching the gospel. We'll throw him in jail. Oh, that's good. I never would have got a chance to speak to these jailers. except You threw me in jail and now I can talk to these guys as well. Ugh, I don't know. What are we going to do? Let's kill him. And Paul goes, better by far. <laughs> do you see? He could not be stopped. If your goal is to exalt Christ, that is a goal that cannot be stopped that cannot be thwarted. In the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the end, we will be raised to be with him. In the end, that is a goal that cannot be stopped and even in the way, along the way, that is a goal that cannot be thwarted by opposition or circumstance. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I've had the experience over my life of watching many people die. Um, I've got to clarify this. It's partly occupational hazard, right? So I, I used to be a policeman uh, and then I became a pastor and in both roles um, I've, I've actually seen a lot of people die. I've seen a lot of people towards the end of their life. And sometimes it's very immediate and sometimes it's been the end of a long illness. But I, I want to tell you something I've noticed. As, as people come towards the end and they're aware that they're coming towards the end, those who have clung most tightly to this life, to the joys, to the pleasures, to the treasures of this life, in the face of the one thing that we all know is coming, death, they are the most miserable inconsolable it is a horrible awful thing to watch when everything you lived for ends at death the person who's lived as a materialist their whole life collecting objects knows they can't take them with them when they go the person who has chased experiences and adrenaline rushes and overseas trips who has loved and chased happiness is miserable in, in, in the face of this one experience they cannot control and will not enjoy. But here is Paul, rotting in a, in a Roman jail, getting older and frailer every day. He's being badly treated, even by people who used to call him their friend. And as he writes this letter... Did you know that this is the part of the New Testament that talks about joy more than any other? In the middle of that, he can reflect on his joy because of the goal he has in life. 
It's a joy that bubbles out of him and that is on offer to anybody who reads and takes on his approach to life. In a society where the idea of maximising pleasure and minimising pain is the great goal, Paul points us to a strange but critical truth here. The secret to truly enjoying life here and now is to stop making joy your goal and to experience it as a byproduct of having a better goal, a greater hope. Um, a friend from my, my old church in Maitland died earlier this year. He'd only been a Christian for about five years. He'd lived a pretty what did we used to say? Colourful. <laughs> he lived a fairly colourful life before he'd become a Christian. He had a fairly radical conversion. Not many Christian friends and family uh, from his old life. And in the last five years, uh, he's one of those guys that you could just see everything about his life changed. And he, it, it's like he, even just the colour of his skin and stuff changed. He, he was just oozing joy. Um, about 18 months ago, he got a cancer diagnosis that was, uh, that was really um, dire. And so for him, there, there, uh, there was no operation and there was no hope, and it's just a matter of time. What does that do to a guy who's discovered joy in the last few years? Well, the incredible thing was it, it did not dent his joy one bit. Um, when Paul was in the ICU room only a few months ago, from the ICU room, he made this YouTube video clip on a phone, pleading with his friends and family to check out the claims of the Lord Jesus. He said, you are all going to lie where I am one day. And I want to tell you that I've found something that is true and makes all the difference. And I'm sorry I haven't got the, um, the, the link to the, the YouTube clip here. Um, but this is a guy who was, I think he died only about 10 hours after he recorded this clip. And they played it at his funeral. And the effect on the people at the funeral, uh, most of whom had had no contact with Christians at all, and many of whom hadn't even realised, they hadn't had a lot of contact with him over the last five years, hadn't realised what a radical change had come over his life. And the ripples of people from that funeral that are contacting the church and saying, hey, what was this thing? What is it? Why? Because for that Paul as well, <laughs> to live was Christ and to die was gain. Have you been with people who faced the end of their life like that? It truly is an extraordinary thing to cling so tightly to the hope of heaven is an extraordinary comfort at a time when nothing brings comfort other than a hope that goes beyond the grave. I'm sure one of the biggest challenges we face in Australia at the moment as we try to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus is that people can't expect that heaven's going to be better than this. I mean, we're, we're, we are one of the richest nations uh, at one of the richest points in history, we have more than we've ever had nationally before. 
And yet, with all of that, so much pain, so much disappointment, so much anxiety, so much depression and sadness. Don't you long for a day, the day that God has promised when he'll wipe every tear from our eyes? How good would that be? When there'll be no more death, no more frustration, no more broken relationships, no more loneliness, no more pain, no more persecution. The greatest feast ever imaginable and you won't need a Fitbit. Do you long for that day? If I never have to take another funeral again, that'll be, that'll be just fine by me. Well, I'm happy to do it, but oh, to live where there, are no, there is no more death, wow, what a joy that'll be. I'm tired of being misunderstood or misrepresented or betrayed. God's been so good to me. My life really is very, very good. But I want you to be in no doubt at all that heaven's going to be better than this. That to be with God in heaven is going to be so much better than this. I mean, so what if you got everything that you dreamed for this side of death? In a world where so many people long to be rich and famous and have other people wait on them hand and foot to have the best of everything in life, a silver spoon in your mouth and mansions and castles and private palaces and uh, planes and yachts and whatever clothes you want. Imagine if you had a person who had all of that. Would they be happy? Well, a couple of months ago, you might have heard there was a woman who did have all of that. Queen Elizabeth. Could you imagine a more famous, more rich woman that's ever lived? Right? She had everything that most of us dream about. Do you think for a moment that she would swap where she is now to come back? Um, of course she wouldn't. She's at home with her Lord, her King, her God. So even for her, this is better by far. Um, I don't know if you, you know about this, but the Queen once said in, uh, in one of her, um, I think it was, a Christmas, it was either a Christmas or an Easter speech that she gave, uh, that she hoped that Jesus would return before she died because she wanted a chance to lay her crown at his feet. She got it, didn't she? And if somebody who's got all of that has something so much better to look forward to, how much more is that true for me and for you? That no matter how good we have it now, our hope is of something so much better. A life of hope, of longing to be with the Lord Jesus, of recognising that that is better by far. That life is also full of purpose and joy now. This is not all kind of pie in the sky when you die stuff. Um, it's cake on your plate while you wait. It's, uh, it's the best of life right now as well. Uh, a life of hope 
is a life of joy now. That's why Paul makes such good sense, why his, his purposeful joy, his, his purpose of exalting Christ makes all the difference. You can beat him up, you can throw him in jail, you can even kill him, but you cannot stop him from living for a great goal and even achieving that great goal. That's how Paul can live joyfully, that's how you and I can live joyfully too. So let me ask you, what are you living for? What keeps you up at night? What's your first thought on waking? When you have, if you have any quiet moment to contemplate, what is it that fills your mind? What are the dreams that drive you along? What would your best life look like? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you believe it? Is that as good as it gets? Now, I'm not saying that your life is going to be simple and that this is suddenly going to take away all the complications. It certainly didn't for Paul, who was still in jail at the end of the letter. But do you notice that even though his life was not comfortable or easy, his joy was not diminished. Driven by his resurrection hope, driven by our resurrection hope, let's make exalting Christ the thing we live for and being with him the hope that we long for. It doesn't mean that you don't um, plan other things. There are other things going on in life. What it means is that that goal, that hope, is the central thing around which other things work on. So as you go about your job, uh, you, you ought to want to be professional, to make money, to do a good job, maybe to climb the ladder and whatever. It's all fine, but what's really important is that Christ is exalted in the way that you go about doing that, that he is lifted up as you go about doing that. And the way you go, um, uh, you relate to your friends. It's great to want to have lots of friends, to be surrounded by friends, to be well-liked and happy. But what really matters is, is Christ exalted in the way that I am a friend, in the way that I treat others? Am I exalting Christ in my life? In the way that you raise your children, if you have children... You might want them to be well-educated, to have sporting success or learn a musical instrument, to get a good job when they grow up and all of that's fan. That's great. Don't stop wanting those things. But what is far more important than all of that is that Christ is exalted in the way that I go about being a parent and that at the end, my kids also want to exalt Christ as well. That's the goal. And whether they can play an instrument or not along the way, well... But to be with Christ is better by far. And if they get that, everything else can fall wherever it falls. If you pinned your hope to the resurrection and you were determined to magnify Jesus with, with every day of your life, with all your time, can I ask what would need to change about your life this week? If that were your goal, what would be different? 
What would you stop doing? What, what might you spend more time doing if your goal was to exalt Jesus in everything, to make him big, the star? Might it put you in a position to devote some time each week to doing something you're not doing now? Uh, some activity that will help you to focus more on making much of Jesus and less of yourself. If you've pinned your hope to the resurrection, you're determined to magnify Jesus with all of your money, would anything change there? What would change if that was your budgetary goal? To honour Jesus, to magnify Jesus, to lift him up. It's... It's interesting, if we focus on ourselves and our needs, do you know that you will never have enough? Have you, have you come to that, you've reached that conclusion already? If you focused on your needs, what you want, what you have to get done, you, you'll never be satisfied, you'll never have enough. None of us ever do. Remember Rene Rivkin being interviewed from a, um, a luxury yacht on the Sydney Harbour one day and, and the interviewer said to him, um, uh, have you got enough money? And Rene Rivkin, at that point, the second richest person in Australia, said, no, I just need a little more. <laughs> and the point is, it doesn't matter how big your yacht is, you always want one that's a little bit bigger, and just, just a little more. And, and if you live for yourself, and you live for your own pleasure, you'll never be satisfied. This is the liberating thing about living for a goal that's bigger than me. Living that Jesus be exalted. It's, it, it's liberating. And what I do with my time and my money, it's liberating for me. I can be satisfied because it's about him. The goal is Jesus be exalted, that he be raised up, that he be made much of, that attention goes to him, that he is praised and honoured for who he is and that people everywhere will fall on their knees before him, not just at the last day but even now. We have great news to take to a world that is sad and anxious and dissatisfied. Great news of a living hope. If you pin your hopes to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, you will truly live, not just survive, but truly live. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, in our lives it's so easy to be caught up in our own difficulties and our own struggles, and they're real. We want to bring them before you. But we do pray, Father, that you might lift us beyond ourselves to exalt Jesus. And we pray, Father, that when uh, the circumstances and difficulties of this life crowd in all around us, that you would remind us by your Spirit again and again of the hope of glory, of living with you forever. Father, we pray that you might make it true in our hearts as well as on our lips, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we pray it in his name. Amen.